to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa, and this is a bi-weekly podcast in which I talk about a wide variety of writing and reading-related topics. And every once in a while, I get to speak to a really cool writer, which is the case for this week's episode. I spoke to Shane Greenwood about a week and a half ago, and I've known Shane for a while on Twitter. And I've been following what he's been saying about the release of his book of short stories called The Ether. Unfortunately, at the time that we did the interview, I hadn't had a chance to start the ether yet, but I am now about halfway through it, and wow, it is amazing. I'm not going to give too much away, but I am going to include a link in the notes for this episode where you can get a copy of the ether for yourself and, uh, you know, see for yourself, because it really is something that I highly recommend. And like I said, I'm only a little more than halfway through it. So I'm really glad I had the opportunity to talk to Shane. He said a lot of really interesting things for writers and also fans of science fiction. And with no further ado, here is my interview with Shane. Enjoy. My guest today is Shane Greenwood, who uses he, him pronouns. Thank you for giving me pronouns. Um, Shane is a Seattle-based writer who takes practice in the time-honored Pacific Northwest traditions of drinking coffee, hiking, and avoiding eye contact with strangers. He has recently published The Ether, a collection of 11 sci-fi stories on Amazon. Aside from the published works on Amazon, you can find Shane's writings on his author site, youaremuted.com. Shane, thanks so much for coming on my show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. So my first question, I usually ask the guests on my show, when and why did you start writing? Like, What really inspired you to start? Uh, I, I don't know if any one thing inspired me to start. It's, a, it's always a few things. Right. Uh, and um, I had this... This combination of my um, my love for just going into a library and uh, finding anything and everything I could to read, right? Uh, until until the librarians kicked me out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I felt like there there was a an honesty in being able to express yourself uh, with with words, just with words. Um, so there was something that attracted me there. Yeah, so um, th- that's good. What, what did you start writing? Was there like a specific style of writing you did or did you just kind of, whatever came to you, you kind of wrote that? Like did you, like poetry or fiction or kind of both? Both. Uh, main, I think when I was younger, I, I wrote a lot of fiction. Okay. And I uh, really progressed to poetry when I was a, an angsty teenager. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then fell in love with poetry. And then I kind of just go back and forth between the two. But I, I used to really, um, when I was 
in elementary school, I would write all assortments of short stories. Um, actually, one of the one of the short stories that I wrote uh, that's in the ether, I actually wrote the first draft of it when I was fourteen. Oh, nice! Uh, and, <laughs> and, um, it, it was actually so. It's this. It's a story. Um, it's called Walt Whitman. Uh, and it's the story about a kid who has to work on an assignment, uh, an essay about Walt Whitman, uh, oh. and they fall asleep, and then they go to a coffee shop to get a pick-me-up, even though they're young. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the coffee seems to have been laced with something psychedelic. Oh. Um, yeah, I actually wrote that and turned it in instead of my assignment on Walt Whitman. Um, nice. And I remember my, my English <laughs> teacher was like concerned about me. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Not, not a fun after school thing to talk about. Oh yeah, that that could I could see that being a problem definitely. And by the way, I have the ether and I'm looking forward to reading it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But I'm really looking for it. And I did see that story in there. So I'm now I kind of am going into that, uh, kind of knowing what it's about. But that's fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> I won't tell you anymore. I won't tell you anymore. <laughs> no, that's a, that, that's a cool story, though. That's, um, that's really something else. Yeah, I wish I kept some of my writing from that period. I just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's painful, like for me, even if it's not that bad, I don't know if it's bad or not, but it's just like painful to look at that stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, every writer at some point, maybe multiple times, they go through sort of like burning their own library of Alexandria phase where yeah. they just think everything they did is crap and they yeah. just... Oh, can we, can we curse on here, by the oh, way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Definitely. Uh, well, we, we go through this phase where we think, I think it's ma mainly when we become adults, young adults. Yeah. When we look back on our, our writing from, you know, just post high school graduation or whatever, and we just think, oh, that person was stupid and naive. What are the, and their writing's awful, and we throw it all away. Yeah. I did a little bit of that myself. Um, I tried to not <laughs> throw everything away. Yeah, that's important. I'm trying to get better at keeping stuff that I, I mean, now everything's on the computer and I just have it saved. So, but back then I, I didn't save stuff like that. So it's probably better in some cases that I didn't save it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I did notice on your website, You Are Muted, that you have a mix of poetry and fiction on there. And um, how do you have, like, a different approach to writing poetry or fiction? Or does it kind of, like, once you start writing something, how it's going to take form kind of dictate whether you write it as a poem or a story? Or how does that work? Uh, a lot of... A lot of it's guesswork. <laughs> um, I I'd say with poetry, there there's something there's something less narrative driven that I want to express. Right. Uh, whenever I start any story, it 
there's sort of the, the seed of it is is just a, a theme or a thought, nothing concrete. Uh, and if I can think about a specific person who I could see being a well, you know, a human, a well-developed human-esque <laughs> person, yeah. then that typically becomes, you know, a short story. Or um, the ether is actually the the story. The ether in the collection is a novella. Um, right. So, but yeah. It typically becomes like short story or novella. Uh, I have a few ideas that I think could become novels that I'm working on in the future. Um, and I then I just live in my head for a long time and write it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a good place to be. Take notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can be. Um, if there's something more abstract that I'm trying to express, that's when it's best suited as a poem. Right. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I actually, the, the name of your website, You Are Muted, I found that really interesting. And I read the poem that you did called You Are Muted. And I thought the poem was very powerful. And if you, if you don't mind, could you maybe talk about that one a little bit? Because, like I said, I really, I thought it was a really powerful piece, even though it was a short poem. Yeah, it, um, I hope I don't undermine the powerfulness when I say this, but it, the poem was born from a joke. Uh, That's great. <laughs> when, my my uh, my wife um, was on a video call for work. Uh, my my wife is uh, works in, in tech, right? And um, they're they're on a video call for work, and they kept saying, "You are muted. You are muted." Uh, oh, and they they just the repetition of them saying it, and yeah. the the worry in their voice as as if something horrible is happening, and they're trying to save someone by telling them they're muted. Uh, it, I thought it was simultaneously funny and uh, sort of uh, sort of sad. Yes, yeah. like just the agency that uh, in in uh, the way that my, my my wife was saying, "You are muted. You're muted. You are muted. You are muted." Over and over again uh, was um, it was interesting. It, it sort of captured the. <laughs> um, I I mean I wrote the poem before the. Uh, pandemic, uh, but uh, it sort of captures life, pandemic life, for any re remote working person. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Wow, that's that's amazing. I didn't, I didn't get that impression when I was reading the poem, but that really makes a lot of sense. But I can see how that can be applied to so many different things that are going on nowadays. I really, I was impressed with that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I'm the type of person who wants people to take away whatever they can, uh, even um, if it wasn't my intention. A lot of the time, I actually try to write without uh, without an, a specific intention. Uh, yeah. Just so I, you know, I want to give everything life beyond me writing it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I really like that. Um, so what do you find? I noticed you write a lot of science fiction, especially with the ether, but it looked like there were some other things on your website that um, were sci-fi. And what, 
I guess, first of all, what do you find most appealing about writing science fiction? Like, why are you drawn to science fiction? Science fiction feels limitless. Right. And there, there's a lot to, to explore. Um, there's also the, the benefit of the, the whatever device. <laughs> right. Because you can just invent something that doesn't necessarily need to be fully explained down to every detail. And, you know, that's how the characters are able to dive into a black hole or something. Yeah. And, um, when I, when I approach sci-fi, I try to, to go even a little bit beyond that. And there are certain, certain times in stories where it's, there's no explanation uh, for what's happening. Um, I think that's a magical moment that you can, you can really only find in science fiction. Yeah. I think even in, in fantasy, uh, I noticed that you can kind of like everything sort of gets explained with some form of magic. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, science fiction isn't much different in that regard, but I, I think science fiction has this, extra uh bit of cosmic exploration um or exploration in the mind uh, where you don't see a lot of that um happening in fantasy right that's good um like i i agree with what you said that science fiction does seem limitless but um is there something that maybe you haven't seen done yet in sci-fi or maybe something that you have seen done that you weren't, I don't want to say you weren't happy with it, but maybe you, you put like a different spin on it. Like, is there anything maybe that you've seen done that you might want to, I guess, redo or I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that question makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I I think a lot of sci-fi is today it's a derivative of series like The Foundation and Dune. Right. Um. There, there's a lot of we've got to make the next Dune, uh, and even stories like Star Wars and space operas are very much so influenced by Dune. Dune, to me, and the Foundation are like sci-fi's Lord of the Rings, right? They, yeah. They've set the tone for the genre that everyone wants to try to capture again. And to me, um, there's the one thing that I thought was compelling in Dune was the fact that it, explored more of everyday life uh, of um, different cultures, invented cultures. Uh, I mean, invented, but also heavily based on um, Eastern cultures, but <laughs> still right. uh, it explored this, the, it captured bits of, of everyday life of people. Uh, and I, I think that science fiction doesn't do enough of that. And I'd, I'd like to see, yeah. and that, that was one of my intentions with the ether uh, was to uh, write stories where we're capturing uh, characters and we're, we're 
we're showing how unique people go through unique situations. Right. Uh, and it, there's a, pretty much every sci-fi, even like um, like The Expanse, uh, which I would say is one of the, the most current, most modern sci-fi space opera series. Uh, the Expanse does a little bit of that, uh, where you know every chapter is POV written by, or uh, not written by, but every chapter is PO, uh, point of view of a different character. Yeah. There are a bunch of different characters. They have a unique uh, perspective, but they're still being um, sort of forced or channeled through a large scale event that seems very plot world building, you know? Right. Um, And I, I, I want more stories out there where we're just focusing on the people and less on the, you know, the war (laughs) of some kind. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's great. I, I absolutely think you're right. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I read a lot of different genres and I don't, I'm not as knowledgeable about sci-fi as I maybe am with other genres, but I agree with what you said. I don't see enough emphasis on like the, the daily lives of the people. And I think, I think that could be really good in sci-fi. I, I, there are some characters in works that I have read that I would have liked to have seen their, uh, their character explored a little more and their, their day, day-to-day lives explored a little more. So... I think that's great. Uh, what was the process of writing and compiling the ether like? Like you mentioned that the ether itself is a novella, but then you have these other stories. Like what, what is the process of putting together a book like that like? There's a lot of crying. Okay. There's a lot of doubt. A, a lot of second guessing. Um, I I fought against myself to split the ether into two works. Um, I actually wanted to write the uh, actually publish the ether as a standalone novella, and then publish you know the other ten stories as a collection. But I I just found that I wanted instead of doing that, I wanted to challenge myself and put everything into one solid collection. A lot of these stories, they have a, a, I I would say they have a similar feeling. Right. And that was a a compelling force for me to um, keep everything together uh, into one bigger collection. Um, So, I think the, 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 that was the driving force was these stories felt like they belong together. They're right. not necessarily set in the same universe, uh, so to speak, but they felt like they belong together. Um, yeah, uh, there, the, the whole process was, uh, it, it took me 10 months, um, to write and, go through editing uh, of these stories. Oh, wow. Uh, I had had a lot of beta readers who were fantastic people and they turned, um, they turned these stories into, especially the ether itself, they turned into um, something I'm proud of. Um, But yeah, it 
was, you know, I went through like six, maybe six major edits. Wow. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, and then some probably that I can't remember counting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, that that and I I toiled over small details like. Uh, the order, the, the arrangement of the stories yeah. was important to me. Yeah, um, I can imagine. And, and yeah, it's it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a set list, you know, for yeah. for a band. You know, you, you want to give people a different, um, just sort of like a good range of emotion, but you don't want to make things rocky. You kind of want to ease people into exactly. the story. And so there's a lot to think about there. And uh, I, I also didn't, I purposefully uh, abstained from doing some of the normal book publishing stuff. Um, the big thing that, uh, that you'll notice once you get into the book is that I, I don't have an about the author page. Um, I really, I, I have this goal to somehow get my my writing read by a large audience of people but then to sort of also disappear that's <laughs> interesting <laughs> that's actually that's really interesting like i was actually having a conversation on um with um with mj on on twitter a few days ago about um lars von Schur's movies and um i I was really into for a while. I was into the Dogma '95 uh, film um, genre, like his movies, and there were some other. I think they were mostly Danish directors, but they had this thing with Dogma '95 that they wanted to, as the directors, they wanted to stay out of their films as much as possible. Like they just, um, I don't know if, if you've seen any of these films, but I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. But basically, they felt the director should. You know, even though the director's making the film, they should stay out of promoting it and everything, kind of let the film speak for itself. And what you said just kind of reminded me of what the those filmmakers are doing. I mean, I don't know if they're still making those films. I don't know if the directors still feel the same way. But back when they were coming up with these films, like, you really didn't know anything about these directors. They kind of wanted the works to speak for themselves. And what you said just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, the, that's... That's exactly it. Uh, I'm, I'm also a big fan of uh, Lars von Trier, so oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I really want to <laughs> have collections that, or any, any any of my writing, I want it to be able to stand on its own. And uh, putting, I want to put the writing first. Yeah. Um, before me, um, I, I think that there's there's a, a more honest expression uh, of oneself uh, when you when you put the, the artwork first before the artist. Um, I, I see now, nowadays I see a, a lot of celebrity artists uh, and that's, that's sort of the, the norm it now is um, the art isn't famous, the artist is famous. Exactly. And I, I, 
it's far more marketable. Um, and I'm probably, this is probably a bad way to market <laughs> my work, but, uh, I, I would rather let my work speak for itself. Uh, and I, I want to do my best also to just not even explain my work, uh, because I feel like that, that takes away what, uh, what other people might get out of it. And it also makes it probably really hard to, um, <laughs> to talk about my work and, and share why I wrote something <laughs> with people like you, but like on a <laughs> podcast, you know, <laughs> I hope Tell I didn't ask this. you too um, much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're great. This is, um, this is great. <laughs> I respect uh, that. Yes. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, you know, I like the work to speak for itself as much as possible. So I try to respect that with, like when I, when I have a guest on, like I try to word it so, you know, I'd like to hear more, but if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay too, which I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, there, it's a balance for me because I also still want to, um, I'm an introverted person, but I still want to connect with with people and uh, connect with writers. Uh, I, um, I'm trying to get out there more, just talking with people more. So this is, it's amazing that, that you, um, you and I get to talk. I, yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> I do um, too. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say like, Oh, why am I on this podcast? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. That would make um, me feel really bad. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I also it's it's a it's a weird balance that you know it's not, it's not something that I've completely figured out yet. I, I want to be around. I want I want to talk about my work, but also not talk about my work. It's sort of um, a weird uh, conundrum. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. So yeah, so I appreciate what you've said about your work. Um, I'll try, you know, to, like I said, I do respect that because I'm kind of the same way. So, you know, however much you want to say is fine with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned beta readers. I think that's great too. I just beta read for somebody a few months ago for the first time. And it's, it's something that with the work I'm editing now, I'm hoping to have it published next year. I'm not definitely saying that I want to or, or that it's going to happen, but it's it's something I'm thinking about with beta readers. What would you suggest for somebody um, who wants to have beta readers for a work that they're thinking of putting out? Like, what's the, do you think the best way of finding beta readers that you trust and that you know are going to, like, have it back on time and give you good advice, but, um, you know, give you basically give you a critique that you can actually find helpful yeah um this was a journey for me as well uh i think some important factors in beta reading are try try not to make your friends and family beta readers yeah uh, I, can, I can see where that um, comes from yeah you're, you're never gonna get an honest um 
and you're not you're not going to get an honest opinion. It's or it's very likely that you're not going to get an honest opinion. Uh, I will say though to define my own advice, um, I did have a few friends, people I, I you know really good friends of mine, uh, beta read a couple of stories in the ether, and um, these are people I knew would give me they you know they don't. They don't care about my feelings. They know that I, I can take whatever criticism um, they have, and they, um, you know, they were giving an honest opinion on, on uh, everything they could, which was great. Uh, so if you do have someone who is a friend and you know that they, they are going to be honest with you, um, and that you can take it and make sure that you know you're separating the feedback from the person giving it <laughs> yeah. uh, and maintain your friendship uh, if they're if they're critical on your work uh, then sure you can, you can have a friend who is a, a beta reader but just I, I guess I'm saying tread, tread lightly you know proceed with caution in doing that because um, there's a there's a lot that can go uh, on, uh, can go wrong can be uninspected um, so my my main piece of advice is to try to find writers groups and uh, you can do this through discord uh, you can do this through meetups um, like meetup.com um, you can do it in Facebook I've heard but I don't really like Facebook so, I don't either um, <laughs> yeah, I've never I've, I've, I've like I'm like on Facebook and I've tried to join some writers groups but they're a very, they're a very different breed. In a lot of cases, it's people asking like, "Am I allowed to do this or that?" There's not really a good um, feedback uh, cycle, not a good system of beta readers available on Facebook. But yeah, um, I, I'm a, a member of a few writerly focused discords. Um, I plan on writing some some more uh, literary fiction. Oh, cool. Uh, as as well, yeah, I've got a few stories that that i'm starting my first draft on and they uh they're not science fiction focused so i have a discord uh, for people who write they they love reading and or writing literary literary fiction and then there's another there are a few others uh, for speculative fiction like science fiction um there are a few fantasy writers on there and stuff uh like that um and the, the the important factor is don't go to these these meetups specifically looking to push your work. Uh, so like you know if you go to a beta a, a meetup of writers a writers group and you're looking for beta readers, um, it's probably best for you to become a beta reader yourself and read their stuff first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then you can you can uh, ask for feedback uh, on your work. And typically, uh, writers, I mean, writers know deadlines. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you ask for something by a certain date, then um, you're going to likely get it by that date or before. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, Discord's something, I don't know that much about Discord. I mean, I've been on it a few times, but um, that's something that I definitely need to check out more. And I think... I think it's good that you mentioned that. Like a lot of people who are listening, they might find that definitely helpful to look for groups on there. So definitely thank you for mentioning that. 
I see you also actively promoting your Patreon. I think that's great, too. What advice do you have for writers who are maybe looking to start a Patreon? And, like, as far as maybe starting a Patreon, staying active on it? Um, I... Which is just with every, just like with everything else, it's important to recognize that you're you're gonna go through a long period of time where no one's biting. Um, it's important to focus on creating and come up with a good pipeline of of creating, um, and that that can be anything. I mean, some people will do. A series. Uh, I actually did a choose your own adventure series yeah. uh, for Patreon, um, and I was doing it once a week, and I got really burnt out, and so I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna end this after episode 40." Um, and, wow. But now, <laughs> yeah, um, it was it was pretty extensive, but it was this fantasy comedy thing um, that I thought was pretty fun. Uh, it's I, I think. It's more important for people to um, come up with something that they can give potential patrons uh, that doesn't burn them out. Uh, it's it's really important to think about how often can you create something. You know yeah. how what's the what's your you know your typical pace? Is it once a week? Is it once a month? Uh, is it longer? And and be okay with that, you know. Yeah. Uh, don't feel like you have to do something once a week just because, you know, some other person over here is doing something once a week. Um, you know, sometimes people can crank stuff out once a week, and that's great. Uh, but it's better for you to be true to yourself. Uh, otherwise, you're just gonna you're gonna get burnt out, and you're gonna start making stuff that you don't like that you're not proud of. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of promoting Patreon, I, I'm still figuring a lot of that out myself too. Uh, you know, the whole concept of promotion is, is new to me. And yeah, I, I think that the best way to promote, uh, your work on Patreon is just to promote the work itself. You know, going back to the, you know, promote the art, not the artist, you know, just talk about, uh, what you are working on, um, tell people when you're going to have something new and, um, you know, just publish work at your own pace. Once you have a good amount of work, uh, built up, you're going to see people, um, come to it. Yeah. I think a lot of what you said makes sense. I tried Patreon for a while and I was getting a little bit, I was doing extra podcast episodes and it was kind of like, kind of too much for me at the time, which sounds weird now that I have two podcasts, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was doing a weekly podcast and then I was doing like extra episodes with that. So it was just a little too much, but it was enough to kind of say, I can't really do this anymore. So yeah, I do think that's important. Um, I think too, it's, it's, it's good to see a, a writer doing Patreon like that because I know sometimes with, with writers, they're not sure, like, what 
they can really use Patreon for. I even see that with like certain social media, like Instagram, like writers are like, I don't know how to promote myself on Instagram since I'm a writer. I have seen that before. So I, yeah. I think it's good to, you know, find ways to get your work out there as much as possible and maybe do it on, you know, websites or through media that might not, writers might not, not necessarily think about them as much as they would Twitter, for example. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Instagram is, um, I, I am one of those people, uh, <laughs> I'm getting used to going to Instagram and promoting my work on Instagram, but it, it um, that and Facebook are sort of an afterthought from Twitter. Uh, it yeah. takes a little effort to get into the habit of it. Uh, I think, um, now I, now I do a little doodle of some kind with, uh, everything, or there is some, some imagery. Like I, I, I did do digital paint, uh, painting. Oh, cool. uh, and so the last few pieces that I've, I've put out on Patreon, those have had doodles, little doodles or a digital painting of some kind that accompanies the piece. Yeah. And that makes it easier to promote on Instagram. You know, I feel like I have something visual for people to look at and then uh, they can get into the writing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Actually, I really love the cover of the ether. So um, is that something that you did yourself or did somebody else do that for you? Or if you don't mind I, my I asking. I, oh, that's I cool. Um, yeah, I designed the cover in Illustrator. I went through like 20 different versions. Of nice, this cover. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was always some, I was, there have been so many times when uh, I would show a, a cover to friends or family uh, and say, here's the final cover of the ether. And then I would come back a couple of weeks later and say, okay, remember how I told you that was the final cover? Actually, it's not. This is the final cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really like that. I never, I, I like to draw and paint. I haven't done it and I haven't really done much painting in like the last year, but I do like to draw and I did some drawing for the two books that I put out, but I've never tried digital painting. So it's, it sounds like definitely something I'd like to try. Um, yeah, it's, um, there, there's a learning curve just like with everything else. Yeah. And, uh, but in a lot of cases, digital, I mean, in every case, digital painting is far more forgiving, <laughs> um, than painting with acrylics or something like that. I, I painted, I, I'm really bad at painting with watercolor because I just, yeah, it's so hard. Watercolor is so unforgiving. Yeah. And, uh, I'm envious of anyone who paints in watercolor in a good way, a good kind of envy. Uh, but there's, you know, digital painting, you can, you can get a, a good watercolor look, uh, or a good acrylic look. Uh, and you can make a few more mistakes than you normally would. <laughs> um, there's versatility too. You know, I you you may or may not have the space for uh, physical media. You know, you have to set up quite a bit, and uh, you have to have you have to buy a lot of supplies. And with digital painting, you just like I just paint uh, or draw on my iPad That's with cool. an Apple Pencil. Yeah. 
so it's really good. I can just be on the couch if I want to, or I can go outside, uh, and I don't have to lug a giant suitcase of paints. Or, yeah, that's um, a pain. Tra- travel easel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely um, that's that's cool that you don't have to have all that stuff. I mean, I like I love art supplies. I have a thing with art supplies. They're they're just fun to like look at and everything. But it does get to be a pain to just carry them around everywhere. How do you feel uh, about writers reading? Because I see on Twitter every once in a while somebody. Well, we've already talked about, like, people asking questions and having a bunch of people answer, (laughs) but I do see every once in a while somebody on Twitter saying, do you think it's important for writers to read, and, you know, they get a bunch of answers, and how do you feel about that? It is absolutely imperative for writers to read. I agree. Uh, I don't think you can be an adequate writer and not read. Yeah, and I agree. I, I also want to define the scope of what I consider reading, which is, I I would say audiobooks fall into that bucket. I agree. Um, I, I know there are a lot of people who, you know, they, for whatever reason, they're, they're, um, they're reading through audiobooks and that's, to me, that's reading. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it is. Yeah, um, and I, I know that there there are some writers who, when they're actually working on something, uh, they don't they don't want to read. I'm one of those people, um, mainly because I'm just scared I'm gonna I'm gonna lift I'm gonna accidentally like steal something from uh, that I like from a book that I'm reading, you know, um, subconsciously. And so I'll typically um, I'll typically abstain from reading when I'm when I'm actively writing the first. Uh, really important drafts of a, a, a piece of any kind. Uh, and then, well, like once I get into the editing process, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more okay and I'll, I'll just, you know, pick up some books and start reading again. Um, but it, it's important. It's the most important thing. Uh, and I encourage every, every writer to think about reading more than they write. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you're going to just be sort of this one-way street um, <laughs> there are a lot of things wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I agree with everything you've said. And there have been times that I've been like, I've been dry with ideas that I wasn't able to write. And then I read something that really I found inspirational. It w- and it wasn't even like what I ended up writing was completely different than the book I read, but the book I read just kind of renewed my enthusiasm about writing again so i mean there's that aspect i think too it's very important yeah uh i i've been there too i there are um there are a lot of books you know even if i don't even write in the same genre but there there are just a lot of a lot of good works of fiction out there uh, that um you know light a fire within you and make you want to go do something uh, go do something with your life, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's imp- it's important. It's important to it's important to consume the content that you create. Uh, yeah. And um, other otherwise, we're you know we're doing a lot of disservice to ourselves. Uh, I don't think you can grow or or um, 
hone your skill as a writer if you're not a reader. Exactly. Exactly. I definitely agree with you on that. I think that's great. And I also like what you said about audiobooks because I totally agree with you. I actually, um, I, on Twitter a few weeks ago, um, somebody was saying that they don't consider audiobooks reading. And I'm like, well, what about dyslexics? What about people with ADHD? A lot of times they can only read if they're listening to an audiobook. So, I mean, that's very ableist to suggest that that is not the same as like sitting down with a book. It's absolutely, it's, it's the for them, I mean, they, I've known people that they wouldn't read otherwise if they couldn't listen to it as an audiobook. So it's very important, I think. Yeah, it's exclusionary. I think that's an exclusionary standpoint. I do it's too. Also, um, I mean, there are people who don't have the time other than in the car or something. Exactly. And, uh, there are also people who just absorb. You know, maybe they're they're still they're still fine at reading, but they just absorb things better. Uh, through audiobook, and that's okay too. Um, but for yeah. whatever reason, um, somebody wants to read through an audiobook. I think that's a form of reading. Um, yeah, I uh, I personally don't do audiobooks. Um, otherwise, I, I absorb like half the information. Uh, I have yeah. to read it. It's kind of interesting too because we we. Our, our brains are wired for uh, spoken language a little bit more than the written word. You know, writing is is a recent thing for people. Yeah. Um, recent, like, you know, uh, <laughs> 30,000 years recent, but uh, that's, you know, that's recent in the grand scheme of things. And uh, we have, you know, we have one primary speech center in our brain and it borrow, uh, and then we have another center of our brain that also works for speech in a different way. One's more memory focused, and others more like rules and syntax focused. Um, but we don't have a uh, an area, of, a specific area of our brain for writing and reading. Uh, those borrow from tons of other aspects of our brain. Uh, so it's a, it's a very recent thing for humans to immortalize ourselves um and we should we should respect that as well you know i can yeah. understand why there are a lot of people who can't you know they they don't read uh that often or uh reading is not their their forte they'd rather have something read to them that's fine yeah well i think that's a good point that you brought up too because when you think about it it is i'd say within the last hundred few hundred years that it's that reading is really taken off because uh i've covered in previous episodes like ballads or even um certain types of poetry like centuries ago there weren't really a lot of people in towns that knew how to read so there would be like one person who would um what was it it was a form of japanese poetry that i did a jisei poetry i did an episode on a few months ago and um, basically the spiritual leaders and the samurai and maybe one or two other groups of people knew how to read. And what they would do is they would kind of gather everybody around and they would, you know, they would just read these poems and everybody would stand around and listen. Um, and it was the same thing for ballads. They were passed through the written word because a lot of people in the medieval era 
uh, still didn't know how to read yet. So that's how they would learn information. They would learn history through the ballad just by you know, kind of listening, um, gathering in a pub or around a fire and just kind of hearing people with sharing these songs, learning them and kind of then going on and passing them on to other people. So I think that's a really good point that you brought up. Yeah, uh, I actually wrote a little bit of that in the ether of the story. Uh, I won't spoil anything, but <laughs> uh, a little bit of an homage to to that time, uh, the, namely in the, the feudal area or the, the medieval era uh, in England uh, as well. The, the main period, basically before um, the the age of the, the printing press and before reading became something that could be more easily taught in, in school um, for, you know, people who weren't wealthy <laughs> yeah, um, or didn't have to read for their job. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting evolution and we, we, today we, we forget that. I think sometimes uh, we, we just, we don't, we either don't know, we're ignorant of, of how reading has not been something that everyone has been able to do. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so it, I think we need to be a, a little bit more okay with people uh, just not being able to read. We also live in a generation of skimmers. Um, yeah. You know, like people who read, they're more commonly skimming. I think something like 79% of people skim. And so it's, um, that to me, that's also a sign that like reading is, is just something that, um, that humans are, are new at. Yeah. I was, I was actually thinking of, um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I was thinking of a, an idea for a story, um, where, uh, our brains, like the next version of humanity, uh, has a few upgrades and one of one of them is like a reading area like a specific area for your brain that's dedicated to reading and writing oh wow um, that sounds really cool and uh, it would be I, I, I was kind of just playing with the idea and I kind of it sort of fell apart because I'm like okay well what does that mean um, you know, like <laughs> can people read faster yes uh, can they write faster? Maybe I don't know, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think that's it's it's interesting that our brains are just not they're not built that way they're they're not built for reading and writing it's something that we did on our own. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool. I um, did you finish re writing that or are you still working on that? Because I I'd like to um, read that someday. <laughs> it's, it, it, I'm still in the early stages of, of that. I. I'm fascinated with the concept of human uh, evolution, human augmenting, uh, sort of the cyberpunky thing. Uh, like a trope in cyber and uh, cyberpunk is people have implants, you know, machines, uh, computers, and stuff that just help them do what they do faster, yeah, or better. Uh, and I. I think that's interesting because to me that seems very real. Humans are, we are all about um, defying our evolutionary, um, just 
our, our gifts, <laughs> uh, or maybe that is our, our evolutionary gift is, is to not wait for evolution to do what we want, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we want to fly, so we figure out how to do it. And uh, we want to go to space, so we figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's, it stands to reason that we're just going to keep doing that ad infinitum. You know, we're going to augment ourselves uh, as well to be able to do what we want uh, instead of waiting for, you know, a million years or so to pass by and we finally evolve something. Exactly, yeah. That sounds great. Wow, you've really given me a lot to think about. And um, I really thank you so much for um, coming on the show, Shane. I am going to include links in, um, in the notes for this episode. So I hope listeners go and they check it out. And um, yeah, I, I'm sorry I didn't get to read the ether yet. But when I do, I'm going to leave a review on Amazon. But I'm sure oh, I'm gonna sure I'm gonna love it because it just it it I wish I'd been able to read at least part of it. But I, I mean it it sounds really great. So um, yeah. Thank you. Once again, I would really like to thank my guest Shane Greenwood for taking the time to talk to me, and I will have Shane's bio and also a link where you can get a copy of the Ether for yourself in the notes for this episode. And I highly recommend that you get it and read it because it is unlike anything you've ever read. I don't just say that, but really what I've read so far has just blown me away, and I'm sure it will if you read it too. And on that note, I would really love to hear what you think. Please email me at marissadellifarfale at gmail.com. You could also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash marissad13 or on Instagram at www.instagram.com slash marissadf13. Also, if you would like to support the show financially, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13. And if you buy me a coffee, I will give you a shout out on the show. I would also really appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, as it will help a lot more people find out about the show. And also, I started a second podcast a few months ago called The Victorian Variety Show. I recently did a two-part series on Victorian-era spiritualism. The first one was mainly on the Fox Sisters, and this most recent episode, which came out last Saturday, is uh, the second part of um, my two-parter on Victorian spiritualism. It's just kind of like an overview of sp spiritualism, what it meant, where it came from, that type of thing. But I, you know, I did a lot of research for these episodes, and I'm, I'm really proud of them. So I will include a link to the most recent episode on Victorian spiritualism in the notes. Again, that's the Victorian Variety Show, my second podcast that I started earlier this year. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and for all of your support and helping to get the word out to people about this show. It is really amazing. It means so much to me. And uh, I, I just, I really look forward to putting out my podcasts every week, whether it's this one or the Victorian Variety Show. It's just 
it's just so much fun and uh, you know I want to give you something as well I mean I want to give you something that you enjoy listening to but also something that you can take away something constructive from each episode and somehow apply it to your own life whether it's in reading writing or just like a basic life philosophy that's what I try to do with my podcasts so yeah so I will be back in two weeks with Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh with a brand new episode on a topic that I don't know what it is yet. That's part of what makes it so exciting. So until then, please take care of yourselves and peace out. This podcast is written and produced by Marissa Dele Farfalle and brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Learn more at www.anchor.fm.